When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to another episode of the Mid-American Bandwagon Podcast, episode 62, coming to you this week. As always, I am Zach Follador, joined by Steve Helwick. Steve, we had a heck of a first weekend. I know you went, you went Florida to Houston, to College Station, back to Houston. How you doing, man? It was a lot, but it was a really exciting time. And there, there's nothing that beats the energy of week one when you don't know anything about the teams and you'll, you're just going to have results that hit you right away, like that Oklahoma Tulane game, and you don't really have time to process it. And then there's just other games going on, like that Clemson Georgia low scoring bout. Then we had the Penn State Wisconsin one, which ended in a crazy defensive stand by Penn State. And there were just games across the board, and they kept coming and coming, and good finishes kept hitting throughout the day. And there's there's a lot of takeaways to bring from this week. We had teams lose to FCS teams. Some get scares by inferior teams we saw some programs really dominate opponents i whether it was expected or not i mean we're going to talk about the max soon and i think buffalo had the highest point uh output of the week which that's promising especially without Jarrett patterson and lance lightbold on the sidelines anymore so there's a lot to inhale right now but week two is where we learn a little bit more about each team Yes, I, I completely agree. I um I, I don't know if it's just because we didn't have a a traditional college football season last year, mm-hmm. but I felt like I, I was almost overwhelmed on Saturday in a good way. Like I had I had four screens going at all times and I still felt like I was missing a lot. There were so many good games on Saturday from noon all the way until the end of the night watching the end of that Washington state, Utah state game. I mean, there was, there was great games across the board, so much to get to. So let's jump right into it here, Steve. Let's, let's just start high level view here. Week one from the Mac. What were some of your takeaways? You know, what, what impressed you? What was it? What's concerning to you looking back on week one? Uh, What were your kind of main themes that you're taking away from week one here in the Mac? Impressive. First drive of the season, the Buffalo Bulls showed that they are still the Buffalo Bulls that we've seen under Lance Leipold. I don't know too much about the FCS, and I don't know where Wagner stands as an FCS team, but anytime you can beat any opponent by a score of 69 to 7, you are in good shape. And I liked everything I saw from Buffalo in that game. Ron Cooks and Kevin Marks looked at Ron Cook and Kevin Marks looked to have a good grasp on the running game there. And I think Buffalo should continue to be a grounded and pounded team. I also liked what I saw from Kyle Van Trees in the passing game. He was pretty accurate. I thought Giovanni Ruiz and uh, Ken Williams are ready to take Buffalo's passing game to the next step. And of course, welcome back Taylor Riggins. One of the players we missed the most last season had two sacks. And I think Buffalo's front seven is going to be really good with him back in the lineup this year, complimenting James Patterson in that linebacking group. If I want to go to disappointments, I'm going to also talk about Thursday night game. The Ball State Cardinals won, but that's not a win that I expect for a team that has the fourth longest win streak in the country, a team that comfortably beat ranked Buffalo and San Jose State teams to end last season and a team that finished number 23 in the AP pool. It's not acceptable to go into halftime tied with an FCS team at home and only emerge with a 31 to 21 victory. I thought that Ball State's offense eventually figured things out after stalling early. Justin Hall had an incredible game as he usually does. And Justin Hall had 137 yards on eight catches, a pair of touchdowns, but it was really the, the secondary for Ball State which gave up 360 passing yards, over 200 to a single receiver. That just gives me more concern about the Cardinals. They have such a veteran team, 
and they won the MAC championship last year, but it doesn't look like it's sustainable if they're going to keep performing like this. I, I could not agree with you more, Steve. I think when you compare the Buffalo game with the Ball State game, I think it gives you the two opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of when you look at Buffalo, I let me step back and say this first. I feel like most of the time in these week one games against FCS opponents, you're typically not going to learn a ton about mm-hmm. your team that week. However, with that said, Buffalo looked how you're supposed to look against an FCS team, right? It was domination from the jump, from the first opening kickoff, Buffalo was in control of that game. You look at the final box score, 569 to 97, they outgained Wagner. I mean, there's not much that you can't be more emphatic than that in victory. Then you look at Western Illinois and Ball State, as you mentioned, tied at halftime. The offense, only seven points in the first half. Ball State actually got outgained in this game by Western Illinois, 437 to 404. And... I don't know. Is it a case of Ball State looking ahead to this Penn State game this week? I don't know. Maybe a little bit. I'm not going to sit here and make excuses for the Cardinals, but they certainly did not look good uh, on Thursday night. And I think if they play that way, uh, you know, here moving forward the rest of the season, there's no way they're getting back to four fields. So certainly a lot to sort out there for the Cardinals. I also, Steve, I got to be honest. um, There were a couple performances on Saturday. While on the whole, I think I was very, impressed with the way that the Mac performed on Saturday. Obviously, I mean, we obviously we can talk about Northern Illinois. We can talk about central Michigan playing close with Missouri, but I look at like, um, you know, the, the, the Ohio game, I really was expecting a little bit more from Ohio. I know you got your, it's your first game with a, with a new head coach and you're playing a power five team, but uh, you know, to only put up nine points. I mean, you get, you get into the red zone four times in this game and you kick three field goals. And on the fourth one, you throw an interception um, I, I felt like the, the, the Bobcats, um, I was a little bit disappointed with their offensive output. Uh, you know, they only, oh, you know, 346 yards, you get out gained in that game. I was expecting a little bit more from the Bobcats, but that certainly doesn't approach the level of ball state, uh, and, and what they did on Thursday. I also, you know, I, I briefly mentioned Northern Illinois there. Um, obviously that's a signature win for the Huskies program. Uh, what, what do you think? Does, does your opinion of where Northern Illinois is at now, does that change at all based on this game? Or are you still just viewing this as like a one week thing and they still have to prove it to you? I think it's still a one week thing. And I still, I still need to see more out of this team. Now I think that this team has a good offensive line so far. And I like what they showed in the rushing game. They didn't allow a single sack last week and they paved the way for Harrison Whaley to run for 144 yards. And Whaley was really the MVP of this game the dominant factor against Georgia Tech's defense. But it is Georgia Tech, a team that has lost to FCS teams in recent years, a team that has lost a lot of games to competition such as NIU. So I'm not taking too much out of it. All I'm taking is that NIU needed this win so badly. This program fell hard last year, going from 5-7 and seven to 0-6 oh and six in the pandemic-shortened season. And Husky fans have really high expectations as this team – represented the Mac West in the championship game for more than half of the beginning of the 2010s decade. So the Huskies have a signature win under Thomas Hammock when they didn't even have a single win at all last year. Now, Georgia Tech's not the most quality opponents, but I did like some of the things I saw. I mentioned Whaley in the offensive line. Rocky Lombardi, a transfer quarterback from Michigan State. I didn't really know what to expect of him this year. He, didn't, he wasn't really called on to throw much because NIU really had a run-based attack. But when he threw, he was pretty efficient through the air, and he gave NIU a chance to win, completing that two-point conversion to Tyrese Ritchie at the end after that play was reviewed. That was a huge play by Lombardi. He stepped up, and he, he made a great play there. And then NIU is a team that's also been known for great defenses during the latter half of the decade, back when they had Sutton Smith and Kyle Pugh and – Actually, I think Kyle Pugh's still there, and he had a couple tackles on Saturday. But Lance DeVoe really did a great job of leading that defense from the linebacker position. I think that this front seven is very well equipped to keep things on the lower scoring side in that competition this year. And I have to send my well wishes to Devin Lafayette, who suffered a terrible injury in this game but otherwise it was a spectacular night for the huskies they got to fly the mac pirate flag got a nice 
boneyard victory, as they call it, in Atlanta. And Huskies now have a very winnable matchup against Wyoming coming this week. So I think that things are trending up for the red and black right now. Yeah, certainly. And uh, we'll, we'll get to that Wyoming game here in, in a couple minutes. And one, one final point I wanted to make here before we move on to, to our week two games and, and some that I think I, you know, I'd, I'd like to get your opinion on as well, but I feel like when you're looking, when you're, you're covering a conference or following a conference like the Mac and these week one games where you're playing games against power five opponents, I feel like the thing that I, the, what I really want to say to, to fans of, of these teams is that context is key in these weeks, right? I mean, you can take a look at, if you just take two examples of, of this past week, right? You got Miami lost 49, 14 to Cincinnati. And then on the other hand, you have Kent state, which lost 41, 10 to Texas A&M. Those scores might sound similar, but these were very different games. I mean, on yes. one hand with Miami, you got to understand you're without your starting quarterback. You're without your top two running backs. That game was never really a game. If you watched it, I mean, what was Cincinnati was up 28, nothing in the middle, you know, early second quarter versus you got the Kent state game where offensively, I think you and I would both agree. They, they, their offense was shut down more than we, we anticipated. We both thought Kent state would get into the twenties against Texas A&M. However, when you look at the box score, Kent state ran for 200 yards in that game against the Aggies. You watch that game and you know, Kent state was still able to do some of the things that they wanted to do to me, even though you lose that game by over 30 points, I still saw a lot of very encouraging things from the golden flashes Saturday night. Yes. Their offense moved into Texas A&M territory on five of their first seven possessions. And it wasn't like they were given good starting field position. They were just moving the ball down the field. Dustin Crum was getting some good runs off. Marquez Cooper did really well in the running game too. A couple screens that Kent State would complete. No home run plays really, but Kent State just methodically moved the offense down the field and they would just run out of steam once they reach AM territory. And usually that would happen around the 40 something yard line. So they weren't in field goal range. They did get in field goal range on their first possession, but not in their next six drives, which four of those six drives, they did end up in the Aggie territory. But it was Kent State's defense that really kept them in it, which their secondary is one of the top in the MAC this year. Getting Antoine Richardson, a transfer from Maryland, was huge, and you could see his impact on Saturday night. And then KJ Sherald, who was injured last year, comes and returns to the safety position. So I thought Kent State's secondary is well equipped to handle opponents, and Elvis Hines is one of my MVPs of the week for yeah. two interceptions on Aggies freshman quarterback Haynes King. But yes, you mentioned that Kent State really had this game closer than the final score indicated and never felt like they had a chance to win. They did have a chance to tie it right before halftime before a brutal miscommunication led to an interception, but Kent state played well against Texas A&M despite losing by 31. And anytime you can intercept the Aggies four times, I think, I think that level of play in the secondary is going to translate to Mac play. And then Miami I know they didn't have Brett Gabbert. I don't know how long he's going to be out with his injuries he sustained during camp. And if A.J. Mayer is going to play this Saturday against Minnesota. But the quarterback situation wasn't going to solve Cincinnati's offense exploding on them right away. I haven't seen Cincy's offense play like that in a long time. I know they're mainly a defensive team. But Desmond Ritter took a deep shot on the second play from scrimmage, and it was over from there. Cincinnati scores three quick, quick touchdowns on three possessions. 21 to zero Miami's already out of the game and the victory bell goes to the Bearcats for the 15th straight time. So yes, overall, I would agree that those are completely different performances against top 10 teams that we saw this week. I think you could even throw Western Michigan a little more on the Kent state side because yeah. they competed for Michigan for a few drives. They moved the offense a bit. They got into Michigan territory and then they kind of folded upon reaching Wolverine territory uh, in that second quarter. And then once Chase McNamara went long to Ronnie Bell on that one play, yeah. everything just shut down for Western Michigan for the remainder of the game. Yeah, that seems to be the thing that is still plaguing the Broncos is giving up those big plays. You know, Wolverines with with three touchdowns of over 60 yards on Saturday in that game. And as you mentioned, that long touchdown to Ronnie Bell there in the second quarter, I mean, that was the play that swung the game. It was 10-7 at that point. And then from there, it was, was all Michigan. So 
nonetheless, a, a lot of good things uh, that we saw from the Mac here this weekend. I also want to give a shout out to Central Michigan, keeping it uh, close with Missouri. There was a point in the first half of that game, Steve, where the Chippewas were outgaining the Tigers 258 to 133. I mean, Central Michigan was in control of that game at points and uh, unfortunately just faded a little bit down the stretch. Uh, it was interesting to see uh, Jacob Sermon. I mean, I know they, they told us, you know, Coach McElwain told us beforehand that, you know, they were going to play multiple quarterbacks, but Jacob Sermon really got the, the, the bulk of the, of the snaps there, and he, he did look good. He did look good, though. I, I, I feel bad for Daniel Richardson. Came in uh, for, for one play there on the, in the red zone and threw a touchdown in his only pass attempt. So we'll see what the quarterback situation looks like moving forward for, uh, for the Chippewas. So um, all, all, all things considered, not a terrible showing from the Mac in week one. Uh, mentioned Northern Illinois getting the big victory over Georgia Tech. Central Michigan keeping it close with Missouri. Uh, other scores here, Bowling Green uh, fell to Tennessee 38-6. to Western Michigan, we mentioned 47-14 to against Michigan. Uh, Steve mentioned the 49-14 uh, loss for Miami against Cincinnati. Akron had a rough go of it. Akron had a rough go of it. Get down on the plains against Auburn, which we expected 60 to 10. The, uh, the Tigers uh, ended up winning that one. Syracuse, I mentioned, knocked off Ohio 29 to nine. And then the aforementioned Northern Illinois upset 22, 21 over Georgia Tech. Kent State fell 41 to 10 to Texas A&M. So all things considered, I think not, not a terrible week for the conference, especially Northern Illinois. Shout out to them getting that boneyard victory over Georgia Tech. Let's take a look here at week two, Steve. We got uh, we got uh, eight matchups here to break down tonight, in addition to four FCS matchups, which uh, we won't we won't go too in depth on those ones. But we'll I'll run through those real quick. We got uh, our FCS matchups this week. We got VMI traveling to Kent State to take on the Golden Flashes Saturday at eleven thirty. Duquesne travels to Athens to take on Ohio Saturday at two Robert Morris going up to central Michigan to take on the Chippewas Saturday at three and then Illinois state at Western Michigan Saturday at five o'clock. So uh, you got a couple teams there. Uh, all four of those teams, actually, I should say looking for their first victory of the season against FCS opponents. Let's move into our, our breakdowns here, Steve, of our, uh, our uh, FBS games here this week. Let's start up in the twin cities. Miami looking to bounce back from that loss uh, week one in the, in the uh, rivalry game against Cincinnati. Uh, the Red Hawks traveling up to take on the Golden Gophers. Minnesota, a 19-and-a-half-point favorite in this game. One thing to note, uh, Minnesota in their season opener last Thursday against Ohio State, uh, their starting running back, Mo Ibrahim, did tear his, tear his Achilles in that game. He's out for the year, so a big blow there for the Gophers. But nonetheless, Steve, uh, after that week one performance from the Red Hawks, it seems like they got a lot to work on here, especially offensively. Do you see this one? Do you give uh, Miami any better of a chance this week uh, traveling up to Minnesota? Minnesota is not going to be as difficult as Cincinnati. And unfortunately, it, it, it's a bummer for all college football fans because Mo Ibrahim was one of the most fun running backs to watch. He had nine straight performances of 100 yards. He's really Minnesota's source of offense lately. So Minnesota's going to have to find a new source of offense in this game because Tanner Morgan was excellent in 2019 as a quarterback. And when he had Tyler Johnson, he had Rashad Bateman, offensive coordinator Kirk Shiraka. And now all those guys are gone. And we haven't seen the same version of Tanner Morgan since the 2019 season. So I think he's going to really need to step up. But I do have confidence in that quarterback, uh, Morgan, who is a former Western Michigan commit under P.J. Fleck. I do have confidence in Morgan because Miami secondary did not show any signs of life last week. I mentioned earlier that Cincinnati studied the film and realized that they're really easy to beat deep, especially when they're playing zone coverage. And Desmond Ritter exposed that on the second play of the game. Ritter averaged 12 yards per attempt. He had 20 of 25 completions. He did have an interception, which was a very nice pick by Sterling Weatherford, uh, tiptoe on the sidelines, very difficult interception to grasp. But other than that, Ritter was spectacular against Miami's defense, and there's so many reasons to be concerned about the secondary. So I think Minnesota is going to be able to pick them apart through the offense. But then again, I know it's Ohio State, and Ohio State can score on anyone, but still Minnesota's defense didn't look the best against explosive plays in the second half. I think they were allowing like 50, 
over 50 yards per touchdown if you take all of Ohio State's touchdowns in the second half and average them. So they do allow the explosive play. So I think Miami's going to need to sling this downfield. A.J. Mayer has shown the ability to do that before when he played against Ball State in the opener last year. So I think they need to get Jack Sorensen and Matt Hippenhammer involved a little more downfield. Still, Miami's going to score, but Minnesota has the upper hand in this one. I'm going to say Gophers 37-21. to 21. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with that. And I, I do, you know, you look at, obviously, as you mentioned, it's Ohio State. So take it with a grain of salt. But the Ohio State offense here, I mean, C.J. Stroud, 294 yards passing. They run for 200 yards on the ground, seven and over seven and a half yards per carry. This Minnesota defense can be had. Now the question becomes, can the Red Hawks offense take a step forward? I And I, I'll ask you this here on air. What I, I haven't been able to find anything definitive uh, as far as the Red Hawks go, like in terms of like Jalen Bester and Tyree Shelton, is that are they injured? What what was what was the situation with them? I've been, I've been looking for that for weeks and I, I was going to go to Chuck Martin's press conference this week, but I, I just covered Kent State and I was committed to going to their press con- conference already. So I missed that one. And instead, I went to Kent State's press conference. I got a I got one injury update from that one, which is Jishon Polk, their receiver, is questionable to doubtful this week, but that's just an aside. But I, I, I don't know about Miami, but I do know that Keon Mosey, their Kansas State running back transfer, is making me less worried about the run game because he was able to post 80 yards on Cincinnati's really good run defense, and not too many running backs can do that. So I think Mosey is a good number one halfback going forward for this team. And with 80 yards on Saturday, a lot of good runs. He shows good timing, and I thought he was really good at committing to the holes. I thought Miami's pass defense wasn't great, but I thought their run defense was pretty spectacular, all things considered, when they're playing Cincinnati. Yeah, I I can't disagree with that. I mean, the Red Hawks, for, for all the struggles they had on offense, they were still able to manage 169 yards on the ground. I think, yeah, I think the, the X factor here in, in this week is going to be the passing game for, for the Red Hawks. If A.J. Mayer is able to, uh, to, you know, perform a little, I mean, nine for 28 last week. I know, again, Cincinnati, great defense, but, you know, uh, certainly not, not the numbers you'd like to see from your quarterback. Well, obviously you have to keep monitoring the Gabbert situation as well, because as you wrote in your, in your you know, takeaway piece, your analysis of the game is that they're just, Miami is not the same without Gabbert under center. And, understandably so. I mean, he was a freshman of the year two years ago in the conference and, and, and one of the better quarterbacks. So um, I think without him playing, I, my, my, the likelihood of, of Miami pulling off this upset certainly uh, lessens significantly. I think your, your score prediction, though, is, is, is about accurate. I do you know, anticipate Miami has a little bit more success on the offensive side of the ball this week. I think 38-21 sounds about right to me. Let's move over to uh, to DeKalb. Northern Illinois comes home for their home opener after that huge victory over Georgia Tech in Atlanta on Saturday night. They come home and they welcome in the Wyoming Cowboys of the Mountain West Conference. Northern Illinois is still an underdog in this game. They're getting seven points uh, in this one with the over-under set at 45 and a half. Steve, I'd be curious to, to get your thoughts on this one. I think uh, Wyoming really struggled last week. You know, we mentioned these FBS versus FCS matchups. The, the Cowboys were down 7-3 to three to Montana State going into the fourth quarter of this game, and they were able to, uh, to pull it out in the fourth quarter. They outscored the, the, uh, the Bobcats 16-9 to nine in the fourth, ended up getting a 19-16 a victory. Uh, I know Xavier uh, Valaday, the running back for, for the, uh, the, the Cowboys had himself a nice night, 17, 77 carries and uh, a touch, uh, 77 carries, 77 yards and a touchdown. I got to be honest, though, this I, I'm, I'm confused a little bit by the spread here. It, it feels to me, especially after Saturday, maybe this is just my recency bias. It feels like Northern Illinois uh, is, is the better team here. Am I am I am I overreacting? Yes, it kind of feels like a more of a legacy line for Wyoming having a better team than Northern Illinois in each of the past two seasons. Wyoming did really struggle. They, they had scored a touchdown with under a minute left to beat Montana State, which was very concerning. I know Northern Illinois squeaked by their win, but I'd say that Georgia Tech is a much more formidable opponent than Montana State. Yeah. Xavier Valade was a star running back in the 2019 season, had almost 13 
hundred yards rushing and six touchdowns that year and Wyoming finished with an eight and five record. So Wyoming has done well with this core before and Sean Chambers has been the quarterback there ever since Josh Allen was gone and he threw the game winning touchdown pass last week, but their offense wasn't really great. Valde was kind of stuffed at the line quite a bit, even though he posted 77 yards, he's used to averaging over five yards, almost six yards a carry. And Chambers was kind of contained in the pocket too. And he's a quarterback that likes to run. So the offense didn't really achieve its full potential while they got defensive stops allowing nine points in the fourth quarter to an FCS team definitely wasn't ideal for this Wyoming team. I'm still flip-flopping on this pick. I want to lean toward Wyoming. I, I think that NIU, I don't know if they can sustain it another week after what they did against Georgia Tech last week, but this is going to be a close one. It's going to be low scoring. I don't expect too many points in DeKalb, but I, I am shocked about Wyoming by seven. I do think NIU at least covers, but I don't know if I'm ready to make a prediction yet on this game. Yeah, I, I hear you there. And I think the, the, I, I guess the thing to me that really seems like the advantage that Northern Illinois is going to have in this game is that I think pretty, I can say pretty confidently, I feel like Northern Illinois is going to be able to run the ball against Wyoming. I mean, Wyoming, this Wyoming defense I mean, again, you got to keep in mind here, we're, we're playing an FCS team last week and Montana state was able, I mean, they ran for, they ran for four yards of carry on this defense, which I know not, not like anything of a, any type of mind blowing number, but 120 yards, four yards of carry did the Bobcats uh, in this game. I think if Montana state can do that on Wyoming, I think Harrison way Lee can do that. If Harrison way Lee can rush for 144 yards against an ACC defense, I feel pretty confident that he's going to be able to handle uh, this Wyoming defensive front as well. I just, um, you know, I think Rocky Lombardi is a great, what's I, I, I feel like saying that he's a great game manager feels like a slight towards him. I, I don't, I don't mean that in a negative way. I, I mean that in the sense of if you're, if you're going to compliment him with a good running game and, and the defense is going to be able to keep you in the game. I feel like Rocky Lombardi can be a very good quarterback. He had his ups and downs at Michigan state. I feel like a lot of those downs came whenever they tried to ask him to do too much. And I think putting him in a situation like they had on Saturday where he's able to lean on the run game a little bit, bleed the clock. They're going to, you know, establish the run, go for these longer scoring drives. I feel like Rocky Lombardi is a very good fit for an offense like that. And I really liked what I saw from him, even though his numbers weren't eye popping, I thought he executed the offense very well for the Huskies on Saturday. Yeah. Had a couple of good scrambles too. And is there a more football sounding name than Rocky Lombardi? No, you're, it's, that just you're, sounds you're, like football. I think yes. Mac Hippenhammer would be my second name in the Mac. That just sounds like football, but Rocky Lombardi is, you have to be a football player with a name like that. And he had a pretty good football game last week, throwing two touchdown passes and the game winning two point conversion late. Yeah. And uh, also uh, shout out to Tyrese Ritchie for that catch on that two point conversion. What an incredible catch there in the back of the end zone, keeping the ball off the, off the turf. Um, so I know you, you, had, you had said you see, you're not ready to make a prediction on this game, nor am I, but I think we can agree. We both see, you, we see Northern Illinois keeping this within at least a touchdown though, right? Yes. I think this one remains pretty close, low scoring. I don't see any team breaking 30 on Saturday. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you there. Let's move uh, to South Bend here, Steve. We got the, the Toledo Rockets coming off their uh, 49-10 victory over Norfolk State on Saturday. Uh, they travel down the South Bend, take on Notre Dame, a really, really interesting matchup. Notre Dame uh, offensively looked great on, on uh, Sunday night against Florida State. Now, defensively was another story. I think Florida State maybe wins that game if Mackenzie Milton's the quarterback start to start. Uh, but once he, he came in, the, you know, the Irish defense was exposed a little bit. Florida State actually outgained them uh, 442 to 431. Uh, Steve, this feels like another one. I, you know, the, the Rockets right now, a 16 and a half point favorite feels like another one. It would be a tall task to ask the Rockets to go into South Bend and win that game. But this is a veteran laden team with a lot of experience. I could see the Rockets giving Notre Dame a scare here. I don't know. I honestly think that the 16 and a half point spread feels a little generous in this one. I think Notre Dame going back to South Bend for their home openers 
going to be a little more full of energy. And I think there's going to be less issues with the offensive line. That was Notre Dame's biggest issue from my end, I thought, was the offensive line, not the defense last week. Because Florida State finished that game with four sacks and nine tackles for loss. They have a good center, and his name is Jarrett Patterson, their center. Not the same spelling as the Buffalo legend. But I thought that the exteriors of the offensive line and replacing guys with Liam Eichenberg, I think that Notre Dame wasn't really ready to protect the QB in that game or to guard the run game. And Florida State produced a lot of hits in the backfield there. So that's my biggest issue with Notre Dame. And also they they only average 1.9 yards per carry on the ground. Notre Dame's usually a team that can run all over opponents. Kyron Williams last year ran all over Florida State and this year with that new offensive line only got 42 yards on 18 carries. Notre Dame defensively, they did struggle to contain the run. Florida State running back Sean Corbin had a huge run on them to spark the offense and averaged about 10 yards a carry. So this one should be a good game for Bryant Kobach if Toledo is going to want to have a chance. Bryant Kobach got, got nine carries for 52 yards against an FCS team as his intro to the season. But we've seen what Kobach can do before. He has a couple 200-yard games under his belt. But Toledo also needs Carter Bradley to finally step up because Bradley hasn't Bradley hasn't had the opportunity to play in big games before and really win it with his arm, and we need to see more out of him with that. Toledo has a very good veteran receiving core. You have names like Bryce Mitchell and Danzel McKinley-Lewis who've been there for seemingly a decade. So I think that Toledo's offense, they, they might be able to do some damage on Notre Dame's defense. But overall, I think that Notre Dame, Jack Cohn looked looked better than I ever saw him play at Wisconsin in that Irish uniform. So I think Jack Cohn and Notre Dame are going to assert themselves on that end, and Toledo's just going to be playing catch-up in South Bend. Yeah, you mentioned Jack Cohn. Uh, I watched – I watched Graham Mertz struggle through that Wisconsin-Penn State game on Saturday, and then I see Jack Cohn just tear apart Florida State on Friday night, on uh, Monday or Sunday night, and I'm like, Jack Cohn really got beat out by Graham Mertz at Wisconsin. I couldn't. I mean, it looked like two completely different quarterbacks. I mean, obviously it is, but I, I thought Jack Cohn, the passing game for the Irish, looked incredible. Uh, all night, you know, Michael Mayer had a great yeah. game, 120 yards receiving there. You mentioned the run game though. And that's a very good point. The offensive line, 35 carries 65 yards for the Irish in that game. So I, I hear what you're saying there. Um, and I think my, my concern with Toledo then would be this defense has been, there's a lot of veteran, you know, experience back on this defense, but they've been up and down for so long. There are moments last year where they, they couldn't stop anybody. So I, that, that can still obviously concerns me. And there's not going to be much that you're going to see against a Norfolk state team in week one. That's going to let you know much about this team. I would imagine Toledo kept some of their offense under wraps here, knowing that they could get by on talent. You mentioned Carter Bradley, eight for 12, 183 yards and a touchdown, good numbers, but you got to consider the context of it. So yeah, I think I, I, I could see Toledo keeping this one close, but I also see what you're saying in terms of uh, Notre Dame running away from them. It'll be interesting. I think a big test here for the Toledo defense this week, uh, stepping up in competition against the Fighting Irish. Uh, and again, this one kicks at, at 2.30 on, uh, on Saturday, a Peacock exclusive game. I'm sure all Toledo fans are very, very excited about that. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Um, let's move down. Maybe the highlight of the weekend, one of the biggest games of the weekend, along with the Toledo-Notre Dame game, Steve. We got Ball State traveling to Happy Valley to take on Penn State. The Nittany Lions currently a 22-point favorite in this one. We mentioned uh, Ball State not looking great against the, uh, the uh, FCS uh, Western Illinois on Thursday. Penn State offensively it took them a while to get going but the defense looked incredible against Wisconsin the Cardinals got their uh, Cardinals got their work cut out for them in this one Steve 
Yes, Penn State's offense did struggle, but I think you can throw a lot of performances away when they happen against Wisconsin. Wisconsin's defense is as consistent as anything. Like they're as consistent as Alabama being good at college football. Wisconsin's defense has finished in the top 10 scoring defense in five of the last six seasons. So I'm not too worried about what the Nittany Lions can do offensively in this one. And defensively, that defense is now looking like a, a Georgia or a Clemson defense, Alabama, you, you name it. The Penn State defense is looking really elite this year. And I think they have strength in all three position groups on the defensive line. Arnold Ebikiti, the Temple transfer, was dominating Wisconsin's offensive line. You don't see Wisconsin's offensive line usually get worked like that. And then the linebacker position, Ellis Brooks had a great game, but he'll miss the first half of this one due to a late targeting ejection. And Penn State is loaded in the secondary. I like both of their cornerbacks. And Jaquan Brisker is a name to watch from the safety position. Ball State definitely has their work cut out on them. And any touchdown Ball State gets is going to be a victory in this one for them because Wisconsin couldn't move the ball on them. And I'm not sure if Ball State after that performance can do much. But I do think that Justin Hall is a talented enough player where if you just get him the ball anywhere on the field, Hall will be able to cut up field, make some moves. You can give him some jet sweeps, line him up on the slot. He likes those wheel routes that he ran well against Western Illinois. I think getting the ball to Justin Hall immediately should be a focus for them. But I do think that Hall is going to have a nice set of eyes on him from Jaquan Brisker or another safety for Penn State. So I don't know how much Ball State can put up offensively on this game. I, I mentioned in my preview, we saw Kent State's explosive offense what happens when they face one of the elite defenses in the country in Texas A&M, and that resulted in 10 points. So I don't know if I can see Ball State scoring more than 10, 14 points in this one against Penn State's elite defense when Ball State's offense doesn't have that same degree of explosiveness as Kent State. Yes, I, I agree with that. And I think the, the, uh, the point spread here in this one, 22, I think I would lean towards Penn State However, I think to me, the, the, I, I see the total here set at 57. That feels like way too many points for me in this game. I don't, as, you, as you mentioned, I don't see Ball State scoring more than 10 or maybe 14. I also can't see Penn State going for 40-plus with how their offense looked uh, last week. Now, again, I understand and I agree with what you're saying about the Wisconsin defense and how good the defense is, but there were things – even as, again, full disclosure, as a Penn State alum and fan, there were still things with that offense that concerned me. Jahan Dotson was open all game, and Sean Clifford's accuracy is really starting to concern me. Uh, Dotson had five catches for 100 yards and a touchdown. He could have had 250 yards receiving in that game if Clifford didn't overthrow him or underthrow him on various long balls. And that was not an issue with Clifford being under pressure or anything like that. It was just Clifford missing throws. So if that's going to continue, and if this Ball State linebacking core and defensive front, if they can get a little bit of pressure on Clifford, he can be rattled. And so I, I think my concerns, I, I don't see how Ball State is going to be able to solve the problem of their offense versus Penn State's defense. I don't see them having much success on that side of the ball, despite all of the talent that they have. I do think this Ball State defense potentially has – what it takes to slow down Penn State offensively. Part of that is because of all the veteran talent they have. Part of that is because of what I saw from Penn State on Saturday. Now, we could be having this conversation next week, and I could prove, be proven to be very, very wrong because of what you said about how good Wisconsin's defense is. There's also the fact that Penn St or I'm sorry, Ball State's defense didn't look great the other night against an FCS team. I mean, Connor Sampson from Western Illinois, 30 of 43 for 367 yards. So if they're going to allow that to Connor Sampson, I think Sean Clifford could have himself a day too. So I'm contradicting myself now. I understand that. And, and uh, I, I guess I feel like I'm kind of rambling, but I, I guess this is, that's just how I see this game playing out. I see it being a little bit more low scoring. I think your 38 to 10 prediction in your preview feels about right. I could see like 38, 10, 35, seven, something along those lines. That feels, this feels like it, it, it's going to stay under the, 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 the total that Vegas has set here, I guess is my main point. Agree. I think Ball State's defense needs to be most concerned about Jahan Dotson on them. He, he can get open pretty well. He's a quick threat. He reminds me a lot of KJ Hamler and the talent he brought to Penn State recently. So yeah. I think, 
I, I think Dotson and Hall is a fun receiver match. There's always going to be a fun wide receiver to watch on either side of this game. But yeah, if Ball State can bring an inkling of pressure onto Clifford, then they might be able to force a turnover, a couple bad throws and punts, and maybe have a few possessions still in still with a close score in this game. I just don't know if they'll be able to score themselves. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. Another interesting matchup we have, Steve, uh, we, we talked earlier about Buffalo and how dominant they looked against Wagner last Thursday. Well, they get a, a step up in competition as well. They're traveling down to Lincoln to take on the Cornhuskers of Nebraska. Nebraska, a 13 and a half point favorite in this game. Nebraska sitting at one and one. They're one of the few teams in the country. They had a week zero game. We, we talked about it a little bit last week. They lost to Illinois in that game. They bounced back last week with a 52-7 victory against FCS Fordham. Not only an FCS team, but a bad FCS team. So there's not much you're going to be able to gain uh, from, from this game for, uh, for the Huskers. I got to be honest, Steve, I still have questions about Buffalo, but this Nebraska program is not in a good place right now. And Kyle Van Treese looked really good the other night. Kevin Marks looked really good. This offensive line looked really good the other night. And I think I was maybe a little bit too down on the Bulls uh, because of all of their offseason departures. However, you watch them play last week against Wagner. Again, it's Wagner, but there's still a lot of talent on this team. And man, 13 and a half points. I don't know if Nebraska should be favored by 13 and a half over ever, anyone right now. I think I'd lean a little more to like six and a half for this one. Yeah, I agree. And I think that you look at, um, I mean, you look two weeks ago when Illinois uh, took on Nebraska this Nebraska offense really did not perform well at all. I mean, I guess you're, you know, you, you put, you average four yards of carry Adrian Martinez only completes 50% of his passes against Illinois. This Illinois team lost to Texas UTSA on Saturday. I know UTSA is one of the favorites in conference USA, but I say all this to say that this is not a, a top big 10 team here uh, that you're competing against this Nebraska offense, Adrian Martinez has been so inconsistent for so long. You never know what you're going to get. I, I do feel like Buffalo can keep this one within one score against the Huskers. Oh, for sure. I mean, we've seen Matt teams knock off this caliber of the Big Ten before. You know, usually your Purdue's, your Maryland's there a lot of times, maybe not this year. Illinois, those teams on the MAC, those, those teams are often beat by MAC opponents. And I think that Nebraska in this game, their key is to establish a running game against Buffalo because I really liked what I saw from Marquis step. And I think that needs to be their running back going forward from USC transfer. He only got three carries in the Illinois game and he really dominated against Fordham last week. Adrian Martinez had a better day throwing, which was a given against a much softer defense, but that, that is the X factor. I think Nebraska is going to be able to run the ball for a little bit, but the X factor is, will they be able to throw because they weren't able to throw against Illinois and this team hasn't been able to win games by passing for a long time. So if Buffalo can prevent them from any throwing, then down and distance situations are going to be plentiful for the Huskers and Buffalo might be able to capitalize with a lot of stops. On the other end, Buffalo, I'd say run until it doesn't work anymore on this defense. And then look, I think Kyle Van Trees might actually be the better of the passing quarterbacks in this game from what we've seen, what he did in the MAC championship game last year, what he did against Miami last year. I don't know if I have comparable performances for Martinez recently. So I think that Buffalo should find some success in targeting Giovanni Ruiz and Keon Williams, which Keon Williams is a huge addition from the transfer portal to that team. Right now, I'm just leaning toward Nebraska. I don't know why. I don't know why. It's just something about that has me not trusting Buffalo fully yet, as they've only played FCS competition. Nebraska has two games under their belt, a little more of a feel for this team. And I think that the step from game two to game three might be the biggest step that any team takes. So I, yeah. as much as I hate to say it, because I really think the Bulls are the better team. I have them higher ranked in my poll right now. I'm going to say the Huskers by a field goal on Saturday. That that feels about right. And I think part of, what's that? Low scoring game. 
Yeah, yeah. The total in this one set at uh, yeah, fifty four and a half. I could. This is another one I could see going way under that total. That I think I I agree with what you're saying about I don't fully trust Buffalo just yet. I think the other thing about this game that um, the other the I think the other thing in this game the other advantage that that Nebraska has is that even though Adrian Martinez is very very inconsistent throwing the ball, he is a true dual threat quarterback right where play breaks down he can he can get yards with his legs and I think part of the the Broncos strength on defense is getting pressure on the quarterback you know blitzing with those linebackers with uh you know with with um with Patterson and Taylor Riggins and, and getting pressure and I think if they if they try to get pressure on Martinez and they're not able to get him on the ground then he's able to break contain they're gonna have a lot of problems containing that however I also look at this Nebraska defense. I mean, Fordham rushed for 129 yards and 4.6 yards per carry on this defense. This defense can be had on the ground. So I think the Buffalo game plan of old of, of kind of pounding the ball, establishing the run, you know, having these long drives where you bleed the clock, you get four five, six yards a pop. I think that's going to be the game plan for the bulls. And those types of games lend to lower scores, lend to closer games. I really feel like this is going to be a one score game coming down the stretch. I do agree with you. I think, I think Nebraska wins this one um, mainly because I, I, you know, give them the home field advantage and, and just uh, I think Adrian Martinez say what you will about him as a passer. He, he is uh, a heck of an athlete. And I don't know that the Bulls defense will be able to contain him. You also mentioned Marquis Stepp, who looked really good against Fordham on Saturday. So um, this is an interesting one, though. This is one that I am really looking forward to see, partially because um, in Nebraska is just a very interesting case study to me right now in terms of you know where they are as a program. And I, I'm also curious to see how Coach Linguist continues to do in his first year with, uh, with the Bulls. So I think we're in agreement there, a, a close victory for the Cornhuskers. This next one here, Steve, oh, my goodness. Temple and Akron. Talk about a talk about a primetime showdown. I let me let me just say this first before I say anything about Akron. I watched a good portion of the Temple Rutgers game on Saturday. I had it on like my as my third screen. And outside of like the teams like Colorado State and Washington who lost to FCS teams, I don't think there's anybody that looked worse than Temple on Saturday against Rutgers 61 to 14. The Owls got dismantled by the Scarlet Knights. I mean, there, there was, there was never a point in this game where you felt like Temple was in it. The Rutgers ends up, uh, I mean, the, the, you know, five turnovers for the Owls, three fumbles lost two interceptions uh, for uh, one, one of one from Dwan Mathis, the, the, the Georgia transfer who started the game at quarterback for the Owls went eight for 25 with 148 yards and a touchdown or I'm sorry, and an interception. I, Steve, I, I know Akron is struggling right now. They're, they're a six-and-a-half-point underdog in this game against Temple at home, especially after you, know, you lose uh, Tion Dollard, your, your, your main running back and your main source of offense. I still it's – it's hard for me to pick t- Akron in a game right now, but, man, I was, I'm really close to picking them just because of how bad Temple looked on Saturday. Yes, I think – I don't have the exact stats in front of me. I know Akron was the only team to lose by 50 points, only FBS team to lose by 50 points in week one. I think Temple has the second largest loss of 47. So that's a great storyline that the broadcasters (laughs) can discuss to start this game, 50 and 47 point losses. But there's a difference between losing by 50 to Auburn and losing by 47 to Rutgers. Now, I think this Rutgers team has potential to start 3-0 with Syracuse and an FCS team on the docket but and is probably the most talented team they've had since 2014 but still temple things are looking rough there rod carey took over that program a program that usually gets a coach that's good enough to be poached by another school we've seen jeff collins matt roll al golden in recent years but rod carey i think his he he's on the clock now this is his third season yeah yeah that first season where i think they went eight and five got crushed by north carolina in a bowl game they did have a big loss to Buffalo that year. And then the last year, everything fell apart in the COVID season. I think he got a bit of a pass for that one and six record. 
in this year. What a horrendous start for the Owls, a team that's usually pretty decent and a team that can often provide some scares in non-conference play. I think they beat they beat Maryland a couple times in the past few years. And just to see this, Dewan Mathis, a Georgia transfer, didn't have anything going. They put in the backup quarterback, who you might know as brother. Justin Lynch is the backup quarterback for Temple. If that name sounds familiar, his older brother, Jordan Lynch, was a Heisman finalist for yes. Northern Illinois under head coach Rod Carey. So we might see a little Justin Lynch action on Saturday in this game. So that's where I was going with that one. As the quarterback position still seems a little up for grabs at Temple after that performance. But I don't know what to say about Temple other than they just kept turning it over. Their defense looked horrible. Their offense couldn't move the ball. And, I mean, Akron's kind of the same. And Akron's been the same, a bottom 10 and bottom bottom 10 offense and defense for years running. I'm, I'm just going to say Temple just due to the Owls being the better program in the past. They recruit better. They're in a more prestigious conference. I'm going to trust that Temple wins this game. But I'll say – after that performance, Akron sneaking by with a win wouldn't shock me. Yeah. This this feels like a game that's going to end like seven to three <laughs> yeah, or, or something like that. You know, I think you look at Auburn, um, this Auburn-Akron game. We talked about it last week, Steve. It was going to be tough for Akron to do anything in this game, especially given that Teon Dollard's gone. This is a, you know, you run 36 rushing attempts for negative three yards in this game for the Zips. Not great. John Zell Norris had 22 yards on 12 carries to lead the team with 1.8 yards per carry. You did have an interesting development in the second half. After this one was well out of reach, uh, DJ Irons, the sophomore quarterback, comes in to relieve Cato Nelson. And he goes 13 for 13 for 129 yards and a touchdown. Now, against this is now given this is against Auburn's second and third team defense. But nonetheless, he looked in control of the offense. He was uh, he's, he, he seems to have some some mobility to his game. I liked what I saw from DJ Irons. I don't necessarily I'm not calling for them to replace Cato Nelson with DJ Irons uh, right now because Cato Nelson, obviously a veteran hand uh, for a team that really needs one. But man, yeah, not not much uh, went right for the Zips on Saturday. I mean, Bo Nix, twenty for twenty two, two hundred seventy five yards and three touchdowns. The competition level, obviously, a little bit different here. I'm with you though. I'm gonna go with Temple in a close game. Like I said, I I don't know if this. I mean, I the the total in this one set at fifty three. I don't know if the total in this game gets to twenty, if you ask me. But uh, I you just two two programs in a bad spot here so whichever team wins this game it's going to be a welcome victory and uh we're going to be curious to see uh you know how these teams kind of develop moving forward through the season especially with temple you know it seems like the the bottom has kind of fallen all out there and you know they got they're in a tough conference here in the aac still with uh some some other tough non-conference game coming up they got bc the week after this so uh could be a long year for owls fans uh gonna gonna pick the owls here, but I, I do feel like Akron has a legitimate chance to win this game. Two games left here, Steve, let's go move over to Northwest Ohio bowling green an intriguing matchup here against South Alabama of, uh, of the Sunbelt South Alabama coming off of a really nice win on, uh, on Saturday, they took on Southern miss. They were down seven, nothing after the first quarter and then scored the next 31 points in that game, 31 to seven your final score in this one for, uh, for the, uh, the Jaguars led by, uh, by Jake Bentley at quarterback, the former South Carolina Gamecock transferred in as a grad transfer this year. Also, also a uh, former Utah Ute last year for one year, he went 17 for 22 in the game with a, uh, let me get back 17 for 22, 269 yards and two touchdowns for South Alabama Bowling Green did not look as terrible as many people would have guessed against Tennessee on Thursday. They played really well. They had that one really good quarter in the second quarter uh, where they cut it close. It was a uh, 14, six at halftime in that game before the Vols pulled away in the second half, Steve Bowling Green getting 14 points at home in this one. Uh, how do you see this one playing out? I looked across all the college football spreads, even though I'm not a betting man, I do like to pick spreads still for fun or at least recommend them to people. And this was my second favorite one of the week. My favorite was Air Force by six over Navy. And my second favorite one is South Alabama, only 14-point favorites over Bowling Green. 
South Alabama, I think, has a heck of an offense, and they have the country's best-kept secret in Jalen Tolbert. This wide receiver, he mosses everybody. He had five receptions, 168 yards last week. You just launch it to him. He's going to get that ball anywhere on the field, and he is the example, the definition of a playmaker and maybe the best player in the Sun Belt right now. So I think that the Jake Bentley and Jalen Tolbert connection is going to be great. And Bentley's an old experienced quarterback he's been starting in college football since 2016 with the Gamecocks had that brief stop in Utah last year I like everything about this passing offense that was pretty much their entire offensive production last week was through the air and I don't think Bowling Green's going to be able to contain it so Bowling Green's defense did show flashes of success in the first half against Tennessee but I need to see more than six points I need to see a touchdown in order to trust Bowling Green to at least be a semblance better than they were last year. Matt McDonald looked a little better in the completion percentage department, but still he only averaged five yards per attempt and Bowling Green got nothing on the ground game. I think this is going to be a South Alabama domination. I think something like the 31 to seven result from the previous week against Southern Miss sounds right for the Jaguars. This is going to be an easy win for South Alabama. Don't overthink this one. Yeah. I think as much as I wanted to give and did give some credit to Bowling Green for that performance on Thursday. I think the other aspect of it is that I I, I do not think Tennessee is going to be very good this year. Joe Milton is, is an interesting uh, fit for the Josh Heupel offense. I mean, Joe Milton completed less than 50% of his passes. He's never been a great throwing quarterback. He's never been a great passer. He's never going to been an efficient passer. And that showed itself again on, on Thursday, you know, 11 for 23, 140 yards and a touchdown. The, the, the Falcons, um, you know, their, their past defense didn't get tested that much, partly because of what I mentioned with Joe Milton, also partly because Tennessee ran the ball 64 times for 326 yards, five yards a carry, kind of a continuation of what we saw last year. So the result was encouraging for Falcons fans, but I do agree with you. This, it feels like to me, this type of offense uh, with a quarterback like Jay Bentley that's accurate, that's efficient, this an offense such as this is going to be very hard for the Falcons to slow down defensively. I just don't think they have the speed or the talent on the back end of that defense just yet. And I don't think they have the offense to keep up. You mentioned Matt McDonald looking a little bit better last week, but still, as you mentioned, only five yards per attempt QBR only 46.5 one. And also, you know, Bowling Green only 32 rushing yards on 23 carries. I think it, you know, a couple, you know, a couple weeks ago, I, I might've picked this one to be a little bit closer, but the more I learn about South Alabama and read about them, I, I tend to agree with you. I, I, it does seem to me like South Alabama is the far superior team in this one. One more game to get to here, Steve, before we wrap up Eastern Michigan, the Eagles one and zero coming off a 35, 15 victory over FCS St. Francis PA. They travel to uh, Madison to uh, Wisconsin to take on the Badgers uh, Eastern Michigan, a 26 point underdog in this one, the total set at 51 and a half Steve Eastern Michigan, uh, has pulled off num- numerous big 10 upsets here over the last couple of years, Purdue a few years ago, Illinois before that, obviously this, uh, Wisconsin team a little bit better than those two teams. I just mentioned Eastern Michigan didn't blow anybody away uh, on last Friday with their performance against St. Francis. However, you know what you're getting with the Eagles, Preston Hutchinson, a pretty good quarterback, Ben Bryant, the Cincinnati transfer looked pretty good as well. You also got some uh, solid run ground production of that game. Darius Boone jr. With a hundred, hundred yards and a touchdown on 22 carries. Uh, What do you think about this one, Steve? I I feel like this is a game. I I view this one similar to how I view the, the, the the Penn state ball state game. I feel like this is going to be a lower scoring game. I think defensively this Eastern Michigan defense might be able to slow down Wisconsin a little bit, but I don't see this Eastern Michigan offense to having much success at all against that Badgers, uh, that Badgers defense. There have only been two shutouts in college football this season. Fresno state beat UConn 45 to nothing and NC state beat South Florida 45 to nothing. Now, you know where I'm going with this. Yes. Wisconsin led the country with four shutouts in the 2019 season. And they even shut out that really good Kent state offense right before they broke out. This is going to be a shutout. Eastern Michigan is not going to get a single point is what my opinion is on this game. This Wisconsin defense really flies to opponents very well. And if they didn't commit so much to the blitz last week and leave Penn state's receivers wide open on islands, who knows if Penn state would have scored in that game. Wisconsin held the Nittany Lions scoreless for a half. 
They have so many good talents on this defense. Jack Sanborn manning the linebacker position. Nick Herbig out there at the outside linebacker position. Wisconsin is loaded all across the defense, and I trust the Badgers to hold Eastern Michigan to nothing. Eastern Michigan's offense wasn't too impressive for me last week. I know they scored 35 points. I didn't really see a breakout performance from any single player. I know Darius Boone had a 100-yard game. Preston Hutchinson was serviceable when he was in, and then the backup quarterback Cincinnati transfer. Ben Bryant kind of did show some good skills later in that game, but I don't think Eastern Michigan's going to score on Wisconsin, and that's more of me praising Wisconsin's defense than insulting Eastern Michigan's offense. Happens to the best of us getting shut out by Wisconsin. Teams held to single digits by the Badgers all the time. Yeah, this one's not going to be close in Madison. Wisconsin yeah. goes the one and one as does Eastern Michigan. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm with you. I think this Eastern Michigan defense might be able to hold their own for, for, you know, for a quarter or two, but yeah, this, this uh, Eastern Michigan offense, I mean, it's going to be tough sledding against uh, this Wisconsin defense. I mean, uh, you, you, you mentioned some, some great names on that defense. I mean, uh, Jack Sanborn, Nick Herbig, Caesar Williams, Noah Burks. I mean, these are guys that are were, lived in the backfield against Penn state the other day. So, you know, Preston Hutchison, Darius Boone, Ben Bryant, these are guys that, I mean, they, they, they looked good. They didn't blow anyone away, but, you know, 35 points against an FCS team, very balanced on offense. You, have, you get just over 400 yards, 220 on the ground, 190 through the air. I like the balance, and I like this Eagles team. I do, just not this week. This is not the week for the Eagles. I think it's a tough, uh, tough I, – if I recall correctly, I want to say two years ago, uh, Central Michigan – when they went to the MAC championship game, they went into Camp Randall Stadium that year. I believe the final score in that game was 52 to nothing, if I'm not mistaken, or, or something like that. So I, 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 I'm not saying I think Wisconsin's going to put up 52 on Eastern 51. Michigan, but 51 nothing. I was close. 61. You know, oh, 61. Okay. Even, even worse. Sorry to bring up that so memory. Four shutouts that season one against Kent State, one against Central Michigan. Well, there you go. So the precedent has been sent for or set for, for Mac teams going into Camp Randall. So um, we'll see. I think I think the, uh, the Eagles defense will have a little bit more success than that. But I we're on the same page, Steve. I, I don't see their offense having much success in this game at all. That wraps it up for our game previews this week. We will have our picks available on Pin Them Down, which will be coming out. Uh, Steve, that go Friday or Saturday morning. I'll put it out on Saturday morning this week. Cool. I usually put it out whenever the first game is. I think we have two weeks of just Saturday. I know next week, actually, we're going to have a Thursday game, Ohio versus Louisiana for week three. But this week's all Saturday game, so it's coming out on Saturday. Perfect. So follow Hustle Belt on Twitter. Follow us on Twitter. Follow along with our picks to, to see uh, what we give you officially there. Uh, Steve, that's going to wrap it up for our week two preview here. Uh, any final thoughts, any games specifically you're looking forward to this weekend, whether it be in the Mac or outside the Mac around the Mac, Ohio state, Oregon gets a little less intriguing if Kayvon Thibodeau's status, if he's injured for this game, but still they're two great logos, two teams in contention right now. That's a game to look forward to looking down the schedule. Let's see if there's anything else I like. Hmm. Cal TCU, we have a 2018 Cheez-It Bowl rematch. There you go. My favorite football game of all time. <laughs> I that the, the over-under is set at 6.5 interceptions. Let's see if we can top that. Yeah, that, that, that's going to be a fun game just to watch, just due to the history of that game. I think we all remember where we were watching it on that night. Oh, yeah. That's fun. Going down the schedule, I'm not intrigued into Iowa, Iowa State, as most people are. Iowa State disappointed me so much against that FCS team. And I think Iowa is such an underrated team. I projected them to blow out Indiana like they did. No surprise for me in week one. Iowa handles Iowa State almost every year. I like yeah. the Hawkeyes heavy in that one. So not too intriguing for me there. App State against Miami could have some intrigue. I think the Mountaineers could get past the Hurricanes. Such a well, well-run program that's gone from coach to coach over the past few years from Satterfield to Drinkwitz to now Sean Clark. I think App State has a good chance at possibly pulling that one off at Hard Rock Stadium. And to finish the schedule out, uh, I'm not really 
as into Washington and Michigan as I would have been a week ago. I think yeah. Michigan impressed me and Washington disappointed me. A week ago, I would have said Washington's a favorite in this game. Now I think Michigan's the heavy favorite, but who knows if Washington just had one bad week and has a nice bounce back against Michigan. So it'll still be an intriguing game regardless. Yeah, Michigan Twitter will be a fun place to, to observe yeah. if uh, the Wolverines lose that game to the Huskies after after uh, losing to, to uh, Montana last week. You know a game that really intrigues me this week? Uh, your alma mater, the Longhorns, traveling to Fayetteville to take on Arkansas. Sam Pittman, what he has done at Arkansas in just the last year and a half really is pretty astonishing to me. I don't think he gets talked about enough for being such a good coaching job. I feel like he's completely turned the Razorbacks around in, in 18 months after they were a dumpster fire with Chad Morris. Yeah, but they did go three and seven last year. That is important. Fair point. <laughs> to remember. I mean, they're still Arkansas to some extent. Rice had them through the first three quarters, but Rice's offense did not have enough firepower to overcome. And then Arkansas just kept getting turnover after turnover on the Owls and scoring off them in the fourth. I think Texas is going to probably get that one comfortably. They really impressed me what they did against Louisiana, winning in 38 to 18 fashion under new head coach Steve Sarkeesian and new quarterback Hudson Card. So I do like the Longhorns big in Fayetteville. Yeah, certainly. Uh... Uh, the slate this weekend certainly not quite as loaded as it was last week, but you're not going to hear me complaining too much because it is a full slate of college football, which I am I am thankful for. So that'll wrap it up for us here on the our week two uh, preview, folks. Uh, as always, I am Zach Polidor. He is Steve Helwick. Thank you for stopping by and listening to the Mac Bandwagon this week. We will be back next week with a, uh, a week three preview and a little bit of a recap here of week two. We will talk to you then. Have a great weekend. Enjoy all the football, and we will talk to you guys next week.